He's thinking about getting clean. Um, not, <laughs> not like drugs work style. He's thinking, right, I'm several months into this life on an island reconstructing society from first principles. It's probably about time I kick the blow. I mean, Jack is saying, right, you know, we're going to go and hunt it. And Ralph just sort of calls out his bullshit on this. Like, he's saying, no, you're just boys with sticks. I've never seen any adaptations of this. I don't want to know how the different adaptations have done it. But, yeah, shit. Again, the masterpiece moment for this little section. Hello and welcome to part three of Short Live Royal's read-through of The Lord of the Flies. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. Now, we are tantalisingly close to the start of Game of Thrones Season 8, the finale. We know that, and the coverage of that is coming. But uh, we're gonna, we've got a job to do first, which is The Lord of the Flies. So you'll probably get three podcasts in very quick succession here as we, as we round off Golding's masterpiece and then wait to see whether the series Game of Thrones goes down as a masterpiece or not after a bit of a wobble <laughs> yeah <laughs> does it feel a trifle flippant to you that we're sort of running through a nobel prize winning novel that everybody's <laughs> read in order to get to the television adaptation of a novel that has not yet been written <laughs> <laughs> yeah well to be brutally honest i don't know how many people are reading william golding's fantastic the lord of the flies um, despite the fact I actually accidentally called it The Lord of the Flies. I don't know how many people are reading William Golding's Lord of the Flies, but I do know that it's expected 100 million people are going to watch Game of Thrones <laughs> Season 8. <laughs> we traffic so, whores, and yeah. it's time that we were open about that. <laughs> Tell your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes, everyone. <laughs> anyway, let's dive straight into this. So when we last... As we said, speaking of actually trying to get a bit of a, a bit of back and forth... If you've got anything to say about Lord of the Flies or you want to get in early to give us your Game of Thrones predictions and feedback, the email address is sharkliverallpodcast at gmail.com um, and you can rant to your heart's content there and I guarantee we will read it uh, and may even read it out on the podcast as long as it's relatively clean. So, <laughs> <laughs> Shark Liver Oil clean, so you all know what that's about. Yeah. Uh, so Lord of the Flies, part three. We're up to shadows and tall trees. And uh, Ralph is wandering back to his uh, to, to, to the sort of meeting place. He's thinking about getting clean, um, not not like drugs work style. Just sort of he's, he's, he's physically dirty. He's filthy. He's, yeah, he's, uh, he's thinking, right? I'm several months into this life on an island, reconstructing society from first principles. It's probably about time I kick the blow. Here we go. Here yeah. we go. So everyone's. If you remember last time, we left them at this. Um, this new bit of the island that they've been searching out to try and find a beast, and uh, and Ralph had realised the fire had gone out again, so he's dragging all the uh, all the kids back towards the uh, towards the mountain to relight the fire. Um, there's a bit of a break, so Ralph sort of has a little wander off for a bit because he's really fed up, um, and he reaches they're sort of on the harsher side of the island now, and it feels mm. a lot less sort of optimistic here. And he's sort of sitting, yeah. like, just looking out of the sea, really, like, just despairing a little bit. And then Simon sort of sits next to him and just says, yeah, you'll get home okay. Mm. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Like, the, the character of Simon here is... He doesn't seem like he's just being pointlessly optimistic. But at the same time, there's absolutely no reason that he presents for saying what he says. You know, you might as well be on the moon and say, there's a great swimming pool over there. No, there's not. We're on the fucking moon. (laughs) I'm definitely not going to get home. I'm stranded on an island and you fuckers keep letting the fire go out. You know, (laughs) like... I I did wonder if it was going to turn to him and say, not if we keep letting the fire out, you numbskull. (laughs) (laughs) Dingus, come on! (laughs) Uh, No, I I think the thing with with him saying this here is, Simon's the... um, for all his other deficiencies, he is the like most emotionally mature boy on the island, isn't he? And I think he's the only boy on the island here who who knows what it is that Ralph needs to hear as he's looking out. He can sort of That's he can he can grasp that. Yeah, um, and yeah, it's it's, 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 it's a really right, yeah. rare skill for someone this age. 
and it's not a particularly valuable one in the situation it's in, but you know, it's got a value of its own, but it doesn't really do Simon much good and no one else really it, values it. It's true actually. You you want to sort of take your hats off to that this glorious act of complete futility in showing human kindness in a society run entirely by 12-year-old boys. <laughs> um but it, it is I really like the description here as well just as a little aside. Golding's really interesting throughout this book. He's like laser focused on the plot and what's happening in the like internal lives of these boys and describing these characters. But there are moments when it serves the plot to have some absolutely smackdown gorgeous prose for a couple of paragraphs. And this is one of those places hmm. where he describes the movement of the sea around the island as being like mile long waves that are never going to break but are just kind of bearing the island up and letting it down again and just and Ralph gets this sense of like the planet sized scale of this and that's what makes him so kind of hopeless mm. is he's looking out there going fucking hell we're never getting off here yeah. you know he's just really struck by the breadth of, of the world and it's a really it's really well described and actually I think pretty big moment in anybody's adolescence most of us aren't self-aware enough to have it when we're 12 mm. uh, but like that moment of bloody hell there's a lot out there isn't there really mm. sort of resonated with me and i thought he put it across really well yeah um they they head back and, and carry on along this sort of path and jack sees some sort of tracks and says right let, let, let's sort of divert and go on a hunt and ralph just sort of goes along with it he's like sure. <laughs> just like and then he just sort of, yeah he just sort of drifts off into his own daydreams it's like he's yeah. just, just sort of giving up it's like oh, for, for the time being it's just gonna Fine. have a break basically yeah because it's quite a, i mean what happens over this bit of the book is really interesting we just like just how unboyish ralph has become with the sheer weight of trying to do what's right and it's interesting because he's not clearly, you know, he's still a 12 year old and he's taking the piss and, and the rest of it up to this point in the book. He's no saint. But just the very fact that he feels like he's in charge and that that comes with responsibilities is is clearly just sort of a weight on a 12 year old brain. And he's just gone, fine, whatever. Chase the pigs. Great. <laughs> Wonderful. Carry on. Yeah, um, he he remembers sort of back home and stuff. And just something I wanted to point out here is he's got this bookshelf full of like classic like fifties yeah. books, like the yeah. Mammoth Book for Boys and the Boys Book yeah. of Trains. You know, yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and like and and that whole I, I'll 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 be I'll be honest with you that whole description of that like again Golden clearly takes the decision to go into purple prose territory. He hits the big florid description button but it got me in the feels this because mm -hmm. it just brings home how much a child he still is and how much a child everybody still is and there's a sort of a little aside about this was when mum was still there or mummy was still there even is what the line is mm. and daddy was at home and you're just like you know when you're 12 when you're doing these sort of things that we remember from being 12 you are not that far away from being 10 you mm. know and and the the difference in that you know childhood into adolescence thing is oh, it got me this bit actually that that mm. little description was just oof it was emotional because you know it's very much him thinking about the world he's lost mm. yeah um the, the it's interrupted this sort of chain of thought by them coming across a pig and uh they sort of attack it and ralph is a big part of this and he throws this spear and hits it in the snout um mm. and Suddenly he's part of the group and he is one of these boys and he kind of forgets himself a little bit and he gets all excited and very proud of the fact that he was like a big part of it and they have this play fight and it gets a bit out of hand. Um, and again, it's sort of, he only comes to, I think, when it sort of, it ends and they said, oh, it was a good game when they were like doing this play, play pig fight with one of the bigger kids and yeah. Jack's saying we need a real pig. Um or like a little in, and they all sort yeah. of laugh and it's sort of like it's a it's a really creepy really That's creepy a laugh bit, it's a bit much isn't it yeah i mean and actually this whole scene i thought was really well balanced between oh god is this all going off a cliff and 
are they just playing as boys? Which is a really important thing about the whole book, obviously, yeah. is how how you sort of, without noticing it, transition from just acting like kids act to acting in, in far more dark and kind of horrifying ways. And when and this, again, this scene, I was like, are they going to kill him? You know, and <laughs> I kind of wouldn't have been surprised if they'd have just got carried away. Yeah. Um, and that's a little bit because I've read The Beach, which also has a scene of everybody just going mental um, in it. And, you know, so I'm sort of a bit primed for that in Stranded Desert Island stories. But still, it was, I was very struck by it. The other thing I loved was, like, how... It kind of reminded me of Games of, Thro- Game of Thrones, this. Like, how what happens, like, sits on an absolute knife edge between you having a lot of control and having no control. Because it's, it's a great description of the way that the pigs run in towards him, and like he he forgets to be scared almost, and just like really calmly stands there, just looking it dead in the eyes, and then throws the spear at the last minute and hits it in the nose. And he's really proud of having hit it in the nose. And Jack's going, "You didn't fucking kill it though, did you? It's run off. You've just lost a spear. That's all you've done there." <laughs> but but kind of Ralph knows that he looked really cool and just because it doesn't didn't come off doesn't mean that he's not really cool because <laughs> he's done the thing of looking I looked death in the eyes. I looked it in the eyes. You know, we're back on the Sylvester Stallone rip-off version of this story where it's just like kind of I had it. I looked him. I didn't flinch. I chucked the spear. Never mind what happened to the spear after that that is immaterial i was really cool and i threw it to the nose that's what happened that's what <laughs> happened and he's just really in this like but i could have been cool kind of <laughs> kind of response yeah which I found really funny the, the seductive part of this for ralph is things are all are so much easier because he's let jack just take over and yeah. um the a bit they, they sort of carry on sort of up the path to the mountain after they've finished this hunt and ralph comes up with the idea of using the pig run to sort of get around the part of the island that they're struggling to. And immediately he starts to get all this antagonism from Jack because Jack's not leaving anymore. And it's just suddenly like that just tiresome, just that exhausting role that Ralph's got to play is back again because Jack's acting up because he's not in charge. And this this culminates into Jack just, uh, Ralph just saying, why do you hate me? Yeah. And I tell you what, there's just something... Though again, the pathos of that statement, because he doesn't have the emotional maturity to work out how to be both hurt and in charge at the same time, hmm. in a way that isn't what Jack's doing. Because Jack is very clearly traumatized, obviously, but he's acting it out by killing, you know, developing Nazi principles of propaganda from first principles and shit. So like he's he's like Jack's doing it in a different way, which other people seem to instinctively respect or at least fear, whereas Ralph is feeling quite vulnerable and doesn't know what to do with that. Uh, but that line, you just feel his kind of authority drain away because that's exactly what Piggy would say. Hmm. And he wouldn't know why, and he would just express the pain without worrying about his own prestige. Yeah. And that is fatal, I think. Yeah. Now, it's getting dark as they get towards the sort of the, the base of the mountain. They finally get where they need to be. And the, there's this discussion. Basically, the karma heads are saying, let's wait till tomorrow now and go up when it's a little bit safer. And obviously, Jack's become sort of, he just has to be recklessly brave. It's basically all he's got. So he's yeah. saying, no, I'm going up now. And Ralph feels that against his better judgment, he's got to go up. And Roger, this kid, Roger tags along basically because Rogers are just a bit nuts. And he's, <laughs> he's just he's he's, the, he's just the crazy one, isn't he? He's sort of yeah, he's yeah, quiet, yeah. and no one really knows what he's thinking. And if if the if, if there's ever a choice between one thing and something that could lead to some kind of violence, he'll pick that one. <laughs> so he's bang <laughs> he up for this trip. Pick up the the violence. Yeah. I tell you what I think of when I think of Roger. Actually, is do you know the uh, Father Ted? The first episode of Father Ted, where there's just this this outsider arrives on the island, and he calls Father Ted, and he's like, "Where are you?" Like, and, and, <laughs> and he says, "Well, I think I'm on the island, but uh, do you have any landmarks?" And he goes, "No, no, no, but there should be a guy there with a t-shirt on saying I shot Jr. Just looking at you." <laughs> and he looks over and he's like, "Oh, there is," and he's like, "Oh, you're right. You're on the island. Good, good, good." And that's it. That's Roger is that guy is the <laughs> I shot Jr. guy with the unibrow and the disturbing t-shirt. <laughs> And just the very intense stare, and mm. that's what's going on. 
Yeah. So they get they get close to the top of the mountain, and uh, Jack ends up going on ahead on his own um, after another argument, and sort of Jack heads off, and so he says that like Roger sits there silently. Kind of, she's again, he's really creepy. <laughs> Which I'm sure was a great comfort in the dark forest you believe to contain an unknowable beast. Yeah. You're right, Roger. <laughs> you worried at all? I'm going to sit down on this this log. Is that all right? <laughs> Roger, we've, we've, Just... never, we've never really talked. <laughs> so, what do you think about the, the beast? <laughs> do, you... Do, you li- do you like football? <laughs> you... You a bit worried about the the island, <laughs> Roger? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like that. What? Have you seen that South Park where um, there's the uh, there's this little gerbil called Lemmywinks, and um, and this guy, this sort of little, this little frog thing appears to sort of send him on a mission, and he keeps giving these big speeches. And the, the gerbil, because it's a gerbil, just never replies. It just goes around, <laughs> around the wheel, and he goes, "Oh, you heard." Let me wakes. That's incredible. That's it, that is exactly it. This is the sort of Roger is an awkward silence on legs for everybody around him. Yeah. To be honest, Ralph's not trying to talk to him. He's just sitting there seething and fuming at the fact that he's, he's you know things are so difficult with Jack. Um, yeah. Jack sees the parachute bulging, um, so yeah. he, he just sees something in the dark. He comes back and he's scared now. They all go yeah. up together, and the, the wind sort of catches the. They, they sort of they see something. It's described as a creature that bulges, and then yeah. the wind catches it, and the body sits up, and the kids just obviously run Fuck away screaming. Hell. Yeah, can you imagine though? Like without thinking that it was a parachute or anything, the wind blows, the thing bulges, and then there's a person <laughs> standing up with raggedy eyes. Jeez, that's scarier than anything in the flipping mist. I'll tell you, that's <laughs> that's scarier than any of the other stories we've done from Masters of Horror. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. So, so they run out, and the, the the worst thing about this is these are the authority. Well, the the two and the silent guy, the two authority figures on <laughs> the, the two island, authority figures and the wild card, <laughs> and the wild card. So, for them to have seen the beast. Um, sort of puts an end to any sort of hope that Piggy has and Ralph of sort of convincing people that it's just in your minds. Um, mm. As far as far as everyone's concerned, now this thing's real. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which moves on to Gift for Darkness. So, as I say, bad times. Piggy Piggy sort of starts saying like, "Are you sure? Is this, this, this really?" And the yeah. everyone else is like, "Yeah." No, it is. There's this, no, this fucking thing on the island. For real, there is something up there. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's sitting where the fire was, so it's almost like it's trying to stop them lighting the fire. Lighting the fire, yeah. Yeah, yeah and... and the, I mean, I won't lie, through the next chapter, I was sort of sitting there going, you could go up and have a look in the daylight if you want to ascertain the nature of this thing that's up there. And I don't know why you think it would just stay on the mountain if it truly is a beast, mm. you know. Um, but clearly, clearly, that is because I am not in touch enough with my inner twelve-year-old, who would sort of still believe a little bit in like magic. Mm. Like I remember, I remember being fifteen years old and um, uh, seeing a. I don't know if you've ever seen these like optical illusions of like a tap with running water right. coming out of it and the tap is just floating in midair mm. like a physical optical illusion like a statue and and the spoilers i apologize for anybody over innocence i ruin this way but what's happening is the 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 water that's coming out of the spout covers up a pipe that's actually holding the whole thing up mm. so it, it makes sense but when i was 15 i remember seeing a statue like this once and just being like just just knowing that it was not possible, mm. but just continuing to look at it, going, but it really does look like there's just a tap <laughs> floating in midair with water coming out of it. Yeah. And Seeing not instantly... Go- <laughs> yeah, exactly that. And, like, not not necessarily being too excited about entering into the kind of whatever the rational explanation for this was, mm. but instead being just kind of enjoying being confused or co- enjoying seeing something which was a wonder hmm. in you know an inexplicable thing um 
and that's sort of a nice version of what they're experiencing here with the with the uh, the with this beast, hmm. where it's like they're not going to interrogate it because they they're not good. That's not the way their brains work. You know, they've seen this thing. That is fucking enough. I'm not going back up there. You hmm. know? Well, that's it. Yeah, the, the logical the logical step, if you were wondering whether it was true, would be to go up in the day. But that question just isn't there anymore because of the people who say they've seen it. And because of the way they speak with the authority they speak with, no one's doubting this thing exists anymore. So yeah. the question is, how are they going to deal with it? I'm, I mean, Jack is saying, right, you know, we're going to go and hunt it. And Ralph just sort of calls out his bullshit on this. Like, he's saying, no, you're just boys with sticks. What are you going to do? <laughs> That's dead interesting, isn't it? That, like, that voice of rationality comes in in a way which is now completely counterintuitive or counterproductive because it is built upon the acceptance of something completely irrational. Mm. You know, he kind of he's given it the big grown up what are you gonna do, you kids with sticks? You know. But he's accepted the possibility that there are vast unknowable bulging beasts mm. you know, on the island. Um which should never be examined. And it's a really interesting like thing about how they've reached this decision. As you say, authority has like papered over, covered over the possibility of asking questions and finding mm. stuff out. And now yeah. it's just these people with this symbolic authority that comes from something, something, something shells and something, something, something increasingly disturbing tendency towards killing things. You know, that's what counts now mm. rather than asking, continuing to ask difficult questions. Mm. Uh, again, I note a social parallel there. <laughs> And the tragedy of it is, of course, if it wasn't for Jack's bravado, they would have waited till the morning to go and look at it, and maybe maybe they would have actually seen what it was rather than sort of being scared off, but too late yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, the fact that Ralph calls Jack's whole sort of... I mean, Jack's whole sort of persona is based around these hunters, and Ralph has sort of questioned it. Jack's furious, so he, he goes over, blows the conch badly, and calls a meeting... And basically, yeah. he basically tries to force Ralph out. He's like, right, Ralph said the hunters are no good. A little bit of sort of propaganda, though, but fine. Um, yeah. And he says, right, who who doesn't want Ralph to be chief anymore? And no one is ready to take that step. No hands mm. go up. And this is yeah. sort of, this is devastating to Jack because he's kind of, yeah. his whole self-esteem has been built around, you know, I could, basically, I could be chief, but I'm letting Jack be chief. And because yeah. and he loses this, he basically nearly starts to cry and says he's not yeah. playing anymore and leaves. And again, that sense of the fact that they're children yeah. as well. There were this, these little these messages and uh, phrases just cut through it every now and then. He just says, I'm not playing anymore and runs away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that phrase is just heart-wrenching, isn't it? You know, like, because, mate, you haven't been playing for a while. Mm. You know, you've been smearing blood all over your face and you know, giving it giving it the the propaganda king and and all of that. And this hasn't been a game for a while, but his kind of default setting when he stops when his make believe stops working is to be like, Well, it's all just a game anyway. Hmm. Um and I get to walk away from it. Um yeah. And well and also quite you know, this interesting bit about the symbolic power of, you know, incumbency uh, you know, Ralph is the man in the chair, and people would like the status quo to continue as much as possible. Please, yeah, yeah. Um, now this is interesting. So Simon actually suggests what you said. He said, "So, um, oh, let's start again." So uh, after Jack's gone, Piggy sort of grows in authority now because he's not being held down by sort of the fear of what Jack's going to do to him. And he's sort of saying, you know, it's no great loss. Come on, we can do it ourselves. We don't need him. Um, and, and they try and work out what to do next. And Simon suggests what you've said. He's like, why don't we just why don't we go up, to, go up the mountain again in the daylight? And yeah. Piggy, the sort of the voice of logic in the book for the whole, for the whole book, is derisive of this. He's like, why? What is the point? We need, we need solutions. There's no point just wandering up there again. 
<laughs> and and again, it's interesting, isn't it, that rationale is used there as a cover for for cowardice, basically. Mm. You know, like that's clearly what's happening. Yeah. Piggy reckons he's got a bit of authority back, and then he's presented with something that scares him, and he's like, no, uses this crumb of authority that he's gained mm. in order to prevent himself from being put in a position that makes him feel like he was feeling twenty minutes ago. Yeah, and and yeah, and again, fucking stupid thing to do, but again. 12 year olds so yeah um yeah simon says this this phrase what else is there to do and piggy has an idea is build the fire <laughs> piggy says build the fire on the beach instead of on the mountain and i love this bit this this quote it says um no one else feels quite clever enough to say this it says only piggy had the intellectual authority to to yeah. dare suggesting moving the fire from the mountain he's yeah, the only guy really- who can think outside the box it's so funny that that was the thing as well because it doesn't even say I think even more than that like intellectual like audacity or something <laughs> yeah. like it really really is pitched as this sort of you know Leonardo da Vinci invents a helicopter <laughs> yeah. 400 years early moment <laughs> of like genius and it's like yeah why didn't you build the thing on the beach <laughs> why have you been climbing up the hill all this time and um, it comes within a whisker of breaking the plot kind of structure a little bit because then you're like why did they all want to go up the hill and do the thing up there? And you know, um, but um, but I, I quite like that. Like again, this whole thing is a mirror of society. Piggy has now developed the habit of being the like the person who is intellectually impressive solely because he's got no other arrows in his quiver and everybody <laughs> else is focusing on other things, rather than somebody who's genuinely like innovative and intelligent and you know doing new things yeah. and this is really you know you know the phenomenon of the uh, of the the newspaper columnist who reckons that uh, he or she could uh, could run a, a government department because they've written a couple of uh, columns on the topic hmm. you know that sort of thing is just very it's believable and i find it telling that this is a book written in the 50s you know what i'm saying yeah the um they, they do give a reason for it for for the, the reason they've built it on the top of the mountain is that you need a bigger fire further below because you can see you can see it more easily at the top of the mountain which i think does have a logic so i'm not sure how true that is but i can see why boys would think that that's the case that's um, true, and I know no more about like naval telegraphy than they do. So, yeah. <laughs> great. <laughs> so they build this fire on the beach. There's this sort of celebratory atmosphere because they've kind of feel they've worked out a solution. And Piggy's talking about you know experimenting with different types of fuel to get hotter fires and stuff. He's he's rocking and rolling now. He's sort of uh, he's very he's sort of in his element. He's, he's quite of a side of him we've not seen yet. Um, but as the sort of fire slowly dies down, the sort of excitement fades, and suddenly Ralph starts to realise how few of the bigger kids are left, and people yeah. like Maurice and Bill and, and Roger, of course, um, have sort of drifted off. And it's funny that nobody would sort of vote Ralph out to his face, but there are plenty of this group who uh, actually will prefer to quietly slip away and, and, and join Jack instead of instead of sticking with Ralph yeah yeah that is interesting isn't it and again there's this kind of like there's a sort of crushing coldness that's going on in the plot throughout this whole bit where every time somebody experiences something that makes them might make them feel hope or might make them feel something positive there's just something emerges out of the vibe Hmm. that 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 just doesn't even fight that off just goes like just swats it just absolutely fucking not Hmm. you know sucks all the oxygen out of whatever it is that you're experiencing Hmm. and um that's telling i think i don't think that is by mistake yeah i found this the most disturbing part it it always feels to me when i read the read the book that this is the moment where it all finally slips away from Ralph you're literally seeing his power slip away and people go over to Jack full time that is quite interesting because there are two things that happen later in this chunk which I would describe as more straightforwardly disturbing than this but I do know what you mean (laughs) yeah I mean from the sort of who's going to win out of Jack and Ralph Yeah, you feel that this is the moment where he loses Ralph loses control that's true, that's true. In the Game of Thrones, you win or you die, and he's not winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let me switch to Simon. 
who's wandered off, but he's not gone to join Jack. He's he's headed off on his own, and he's back in his clearing, and he sort of starts to just lie there and meditate, um, almost yeah. like some kind of yeah, like religious figure, just wanders yeah. off into the wilderness. That's exactly what I thought. You know, this sort of you know the, the sort of tradition of you know monasticism and monasteries and that come from people just leaving these cities in the Middle East and going right. I'm I'm gonna go and gonna go and work out what's in the silence, hmm. and. Um, uh, and he goes to this place, which I always thought of as like Spider Town, you know, this kind of weird matted mass of leaves that kind of makes a sort of a place to chill out a little bit. Mm. Um, but he really enters into it, doesn't he? He mm. like he like the line. This is a bit where the line is. He became there was nowhere to hide from the sun. He became thirsty, then he became very thirsty, mm. and like wow like that is a very very powerful description of this really weird thing that simon has now chosen to go and do Mm. to like remove himself from this power struggle and go and commune with the island Mm. like what i don't you know it's simultaneously not something i think you could ever describe but exactly the sort of thing that i think you could as a teenager find yourself halfway through doing without really understanding why Mm. And that, again, incredibly insightful. Really, really, really insightful. Switch back to Jack. He's delighted because he's got followers and he's now chief um, of his followers anyway. He's saying, right, we're going to go and hunt. We're going to kill a pig. Uh, that's, that's always Jack's plan. Um, but, but, we'll, <laughs> but we'll leave someone for the beast as an offering, he says. Um, I, there's a sitcom version of this book, isn't there? Where it's like that's the punchline to every scene—a really shit '70s sitcom of just like, oh no, there's a dilemma, and Jack just turns up and goes, "Shall we kill a pig?" And everybody's like, "Oh, Jack, <laughs> you and your pigs." <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so they're saying the armies are coming from the left and the right. We're flanked both sides. And there'll be nowhere we can retreat <laughs> up the mountain. Could we? Could, could, could we try? Could we try a, a force retreat? No, it's not really going to work. Force march? I don't think we could do it. And then just in the corner, Jack, we still have Killer Pig. Just putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> still an That's option. <laughs> now, fourth scene. Now I know what you're going to say. <laughs> See if I could. Uh, I know what you're going to run this one at the Stay with pole. me on this. <laughs> See if anyone salutes it. And if they don't, there's going to be fucking murders. How about we kill a pig? Yeah. Uh, so, so we move we move to this um, this hunt. This is um, it's actually this is actually quite a horrific hunt. So they creep upon this sow that's sort of lit- literally lying there in quote maternal bliss. It's got um, it's like just this yeah. like scene of sort of. It's basically a scene sponsored by like Greenpeace or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> suddenly, these little painted kids burst in, and and violence erupts. It's just, it's really savage. It is goodness, isn't it brutal? Mm. Like, and really stupid as well. Again, I am absolutely not a teenage boy, which is why my primary response to them attacking the sow was to go. Of course, you're attacking the sow. Don't you want those pigs to grow up to be bigger, meatier pigs that you can eat later? Mm. Like, is it such a stupid thing to do? But mm. so very on brand for Jack, isn't it? Yeah. There's this long sort of agonising chase. Almost, um, you're almost in the sort of head of the of the pig for some of this. And it's like oh, yeah. you can you get you can like sense this this fear and and pain that it's in, and then when it finally sort of staggers into the clearing where Simon's hiding and collapses, and then all the boys just sort of fall upon it, and um, and it's just yeah it's 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 really quite horrible, isn't it? It's really quite it's, sort of it's brutal. Yeah, yeah, brutal is the word. Uh, well, and and this is and it's it's the rhyme too. It's the second half of the game they were playing earlier with which i when i was reading it felt like you know this could go south um was like this is the second half of that and they do all of this quite ritualized behavior and there's Mm. a lot in this part of the book about like it's kind of about the the emergence of the religious instinct if you want to put it that way you know you've got simon going off and finding the wilderness 
um, and and you know for reasons he doesn't wholly understand wanting to be apart from things but then you've also got this and a few other places where there's this ritualized violent behavior mm. which is supposed to sort of deal with a tension that everybody's got and nobody wants to talk about to a mm. certain extent and and the reason they do they act the way they do the reason the ritual takes the form that it does here is that they've they did this play version up on the mountain and so they've all got the script yeah. and so when they crack into it that's what they do and there's all the kill the blood poke 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 hmm. um uh you know and it's foolish and asinine but also chilling yeah. At the same time. And there's also this the religious element in that it's not just to deal with the tension, it's to deal with the actual practical problem they've got as well because the what Jack says is oh, and will you know sticks the pig's head on a stick and says this is a gift for the beast. So he's basically saying what we're doing is going to protect us from this from from this this thing that everyone's afraid of as well. And um, yeah. and and it sort of he quite neatly and sort of comfortably puts those two things together without really thinking about it <laughs> once again he sort of idiot savants his way <laughs> into the 20th century dictators playbook chapter five <laughs> doesn't he and I, I get i was thinking about this as well like this is all so recent to the memory of um of nazi germany and while soviet russia was still going on you mm. know stalinist russia was still happening and I can't believe that he wasn't drawing on that. I'm just really surprised that he managed to intuit all of that mm. after a war filled with propaganda that he actually had, an, a, nonetheless, an accurate image of just how close to sort of human fallenness and, and the, the, the crack in everyone this stuff is. Mm. And that you put 12-year-olds in a situation for a week and they will do this. Mm. Um, the, the, the kids, the hunters all wander off um, Simon's still there uh, now just joined by this head on a spike and he starts to have this sort of conversation with the pig's head in his own head and the pig's telling him to leave and go back and these sort of flies land on him and there's this line where it says in Simon's right temple a pulse began to beat on the brain and again he's just he's sinking deeper into this sort of strange and seems quite dark meditative state yeah okay so we we go back to uh ralph's camp and he's talking about he thought it was you just mentioned he's um kind of unburdening himself with piggy asking him you know why are things falling apart and he's also he can't again he's been struggling with this for a while now he can't seem to work out how to explain to everybody else how important this fire is and he, he kind of comes up with quite a good analogy with piggy here where he says you know if we were if we were drowning and someone threw us a rope we'd grab the rope he's like the, well this fire is our rope how can no one else see that yeah 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 it's interesting and like that sense of exasperation is quite it's like on the mature end of of how he's behaving but i also sense that it's what's dooming him because of the society around him and we're seeing that more and more and more. You know, Piggy's strengths are probably quite strong, but they're weaknesses because of what, how other people respond to them. And Simon as well, being emotionally intelligent as a 12-year-old, that is not a recipe for happiness, you know. And, um, and, and here's Ralph, like, making a really good, solid, well-argued point. And it doesn't matter because he's not the guy with blood on his face chanting at a dead pig. <laughs> That's that's what it takes in this society, it would seem, you know. Yeah. Um, and the whole the whole book is kind of about how how the how you take control of what it takes to to win in this society. Yeah, uh, that's around them. And it's sort of the importance of sort of jam today, isn't it? Because it, we saw this earlier yeah, on when yeah. he was saying, you know, promise of rescue means we can't have a fire anywhere else on the island, and everyone kicked off. And yeah. um, sh shortly after here. Um, that it's basically weighing up stay with me and keep this fire going because we might be rescued or go over to Jack's and get some meat and it's like oh man well we're gonna everyone decides to go over there because you know they just take the, just the stuff that's on offer now yeah um, yeah, yeah so 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 Ralph calls this meeting um, with the conch and it's kind of again this is one of those moments where it's sort of it, he's losing he's losing control 
and he needs to sort of knock this out of the park and he gives sort of his worst speech he kind of phones it in and it's like he he sort of can't quite remember he loses his train of thought a couple of times he trails off quite meekly and and it's just that is again it's sort of the final straw for a few of the other bigger kids who stayed loyal like one of them called Bill is like uh, yeah we should go over and have this thing with Jack because oh I forgot just before this, Jack pops up, takes the fire <laughs> yeah. and fucks off. <laughs> Quite an important and, moment. And well, and the way they act that out as well is again this whole ritual violence thing of like they mm. they pop up and they're like it says um, demoniac faces, you know, plunge from the forest or whatever it is. Yeah, you know that is very very. It's all about the power you get from doing big theatrical things. Um. In order to get fire, um, you know, but then, but then there's this whole like, there's this whole kind of the mafia dons heavies enter the room before mm. the mafia don himself does yeah. thing, where they've got this thing where Jack comes in and goes, well, well, you'll follow me, and then maybe I'll let you eat food, <laughs> something, 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 <laughs> meat, and then leaves, and then these two sort of hench, Rocksteady and Bebop is is exactly what's going on there, um, kind of go, the chief has spoken, <laughs> yeah, well, the, and then they, 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 they don't they don't do it straight away because that's really there's this sort of awkward pause where Jack finishes what he's saying, and then everyone stands there, and he sort of out the side of his mouth goes. Say the thing, and then, and then they go. The chief has spoken. <laughs> You're right. Hilarious. Yeah, that's great. That's and you just get these really weird little sort of almost domestic asides in this bit, don't you? Because when Ralph's losing his train of thought, you've got Piggy next to him going, "Say the thing about the rope. Say yeah. the thing about the rope." And um, uh, and, and then with this one, you've got Jack sort of having to be his own stage manager whilst <laughs> trying to wield mythic symbolic power through you know in ritually enacted whatever <laughs> and they're doing this like magnificent thing and then out the corner of his mouth going do the thing do the i'm dead impressive make me look impressive damn it <laughs> there's also a moment that made me like not so much laugh but sort of put my head in my hands when um, jack leaves with the fire and they're all talking at like the remain people who are left are talking about oh yeah that was really bad, and then Piggy just pipes up. I thought I was going to have asthma. It's like oh not now, Piggy. Don't remind us how weak you are. <laughs> Bollocks to your asthma. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we head back to to Simon with the with the Lord of the Flies, this pig on a head, which is sort of the embodiment of the devil on the island now, yeah. and it's speaking directly to Simon. Yeah. And it's saying things like, "There isn't anyone to help you, only me, and I'm the beast." Yeah. And um, and he it says to him, "You know, we're going to have fun on this island, and and you're not going to stop us." And Simon sort of starts to convulse in this like full on fit. Then like his, his nose starts yeah. bleeding, and he sort yeah. of starts to starts to sort of convulse as well. Yeah, yeah, and this this is one of the one of the two things that happens where I was like, really, it was the thing before the power loss political type situation that was less that was more disturbing than this because <laughs> this is chilling. He's having a conversation with a, and purposefully so. He's having a conversation with a with a, a pig's head on a stick, mm. and the pig is talking as. You know, and this is where the whole thing about the Lord of the Flies becomes meaningful. You know, Lord of the Flies is the literal translation of the word Beelzebub. Mm. You know, and there's this, there is this sense of like dark spiritual, not in the sense of like ghost stories, but just in the sense of the vibe behind everything. Mm. You know, this kind of the darkness that's begun to sort of swirl around them expresses itself in Simon's imagination with this pig that's covered in flies. And the interesting thing is Simon doesn't want it to. Simon is trying really hard with a swollen, you know, dehydrated tongue to to say this is not, you know, he says pig's head on a stick. And the pig's, pig basically goes, yeah, but I'm in charge. You know, you, like he kind of says, you know, I'm down there as much as I'm up here. And, and you know, kind of like really th- there's no other way of describing like what this scene represents other than the kind of overt sort of spiritualization in quite biblical language of the sort of darkness that's behind everything. And it actually chimes with the bit 
there's a little bit a little bit later where where Ralph basically says why can't why why is it like this why does this happen like why why isn't it holding together and it's it's very again it's uh I want to say it's Yates things fall apart the center cannot hold and um and that like that like mid 20th century belief like this trauma that writers like Golding were experiencing of like, ah, oh, shit, nothing's going to stop these dictators from rising up and doing their thing. You know, you can win against the Nazis and leave the Soviets in place forever. You know, Stalin gets to walk away without a stain on his character. And there's this, it's this really interesting, to me this was fascinating, just this really interesting way of trying to personify what was going on what what Golding sees is going on behind everything through this quasi religious not religious mystical uh, mystical is the right word isn't it experience that that sort of Simon is having and it was chilling it was very directly it, was, it chilled me I'll say this is a scene that's like I almost don't want I've never seen any adaptations of this I don't want to know how the different adaptations have done it because I don't see how you would do it in a way that didn't make it laughable that didn't just make it a pig's head on a stick but like yeah shit fucking hell again the masterpiece moment Mm. for this little section yeah saying these sort of yeah these various things in his own head and in the end we move on to the next chapter which is a view to a death and that begins with sort of the end of this conversation where the storm's breaking and um simon sort of gets up and leaves saying but again what else is there to do and starts to head starts to walk along the island and comes across the top it's sort of at dusk now and he ends up going up to the top of the mountain and he realizes what's up there that it's a corpse yeah and and suddenly it sort of all falls into place for him because he's the one kid who, for the whole time, he's not really believed these stories about the beast and he's felt it's something different. And suddenly it all sort of falls into place and he realises that he's got the information that maybe will bring a bit more sanity back because people are going to realise this thing doesn't exist. Yeah, and that's that... He kind of correctly again emotional intelligence in it. He identifies that the fear is the linchpin of all this stuff that's going south, and mm. and yeah, this incredibly creepy conversation about like you know the beast isn't this the beast the the beast kid is not this thing that's wonfling at the side of your vision. It's mm. it's something far darker and more fundamental than that, and um, and he sees this and goes, yeah, but if yeah, but it's the fear that's making that true. So if I can address the fear, then this can stop. Hmm. And and I have to say that that is the sort of thing where I'm pulling for him. But I also, given the shape of the book, I'm not optimistic on his behalf. <laughs> so um, the uh, piggy and Ralph are by the pool. They're the only ones who haven't gone to Jack's um, to Jack's big party over on the other side of the island. <laughs> Oh, it's and, so sad, isn't it? You can almost <laughs> hear the Macarena being played round the campfire <laughs> over the other side, and then they're there going, "Do you want another bit of jackfruit?" I think I'm all yeah. right, thanks. You know, like it's very sort of old married couple almost, isn't it? Yeah, and I also get the sense of Ralph sort of like sitting there, you know, with the best one in the world, looking at Piggy and thinking, oh, "I'm really, I'm really popular. How have I ended up just me and Piggy here? Because I'm <laughs> trying to do the right thing." <laughs> What the hell? <laughs> That's uh, brilliant. So um, they they sort of talk each other round into going by basically going, "We'll go," you know, to, just to make sure nothing bad happens, but also because they kind of want to go. Yeah. Um. So they go to this um to this party, and now it's sort of it's a full on savages tribe. Like yeah. it's a massive fire. There's this throne that Jack's created and he's sitting atop of it surrounded by fruit and sort of meat and um it would be laughable wouldn't it if not for what it symbolized you know what Mm. I mean like it absolutely symbolizes this this apprentice psychopath having an enormous amount of power and influence over what happens Mm. that does not seem to me to be a good thing but apart from that 
it's laughable. It's a 12-year-old boy giving it, I am, you know, it's straight out of fucking Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It's, you know, that mm. root one dumb presentation of symbolic authority, except it's working. And, of course, mm. at that point, it ceases to be a joke and becomes just as dangerous as it would be if he had fucking tanks. Yeah. And uh, Ralph, and, Ralph and Piggy arrive, and it, so this sort of tension suddenly starts, and there's this sort of tense standoff until one of the kids sort of runs past Piggy and accidentally bangs into him and burns him, and he sort of shrieks, and then everybody, including Ralph, laughs, and that sort of breaks the tension, and yeah. everyone sort of remembers that the whole Ralph again becomes part of the group because everyone laughs at Piggy. Um, yeah, and then and then Jack shouts, "Bring them some meats!" And it suddenly seems that they're all gonna it's sort of get in on. this very benevolent kind of Henry VIII <laughs> sort of a way. Bring them mm. meat, for I have decreed that they are fine now because yeah. we have laughed at the fat one, you know. And and like and it's and it, but again, like it's kind of even that as a way of you know re- restoring unity to the group mm. is a unity that depends upon. One yeah, of them, through me. Yeah. one of them being treated huge, like wrongly, and it's that thing of you know that the beast is there at that point. You know, like that's yeah. that's the only way you get the semblance of unity is by otherizing somebody. You mm. know, you, that unity is not going to stand up against what's coming for it. And Ralph, um, Ralph doesn't stand for it. He doesn't give up. He basically then sort of gets up and says, "Look, I'm still the, the person who was elected as the chief." Uh, and this argument again it's quite brave of Ralph to actually basically take this away you know he sort of won the home match and now he's in the away <laughs> leg he's in a lot of trouble so he needs an away goal <laughs> he does he needs an away goal um, and he could have done with the conch um, but they don't think they have it and also Jack says the, the conch doesn't count in this end of the island anyway he's very clearly saying you know you're out basically and I, th- I think I think actually that the conch comment as well yeah. is more about it says a lot of things about the th- different way of doing things as well, doesn't it? Because yeah. the conch stands for sort of civilization as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and like and yeah, it's a, civilization doesn't run at this end of the island, but it is also sort of Jack realizing that he can kind of <laughs> again you go from thuggery to government, you know, realizing that. Well, I can just make up my own rules about how this is going to work. <laughs> yeah. And they will have the same power and force as anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, during, during this argument, it's obvious that the, most, of the, most of the boys are siding with Jack in terms of the way that they're responding to the points that are being made. And then it starts to rain, and Ralph's like, you have no shelters, what are you going to do now, you morons? Again, yeah. pointing out... Smackdown argument there. Through. Tell you what, you all enjoy your magnificent back to the Stone Age party over here. I'm going to go and sleep where I have, coincidentally, a roof. You have a great time. Looks like rain. <laughs> I love Jack's response to this, which is the rain starts to come down. He thinks, well, fuck, we don't have anywhere to sleep. And then just gets up and goes, let's do the dance, do the dance. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. goodness. <laughs> and, but, the, but what results from them doing it is, is the second really quite, well, actually, it's not the second really chilling bit. There's a more chilling bit coming at the end of this chapter. But the sort mm. of, the fact that he's caught absolutely bang to rights, everybody is about to get wet. They're all flinching from the rain because they know how unpleasant it's going to be. And they've they've now relocated their trust to these symbolic and quite violent acts. And like, if we dance, it'll be all right. Is a preposterous thing to say. You will not stay dry if you dance harder. If you just believe mm. it more. But that's now the centre of their comfort. Not finding a place to be safe. Not finding a place to keep the rain off. But all we've got now is the thing we do to convince ourselves that we are the baddest assist. Hmm. And that that is, by some distance, even the presentation of possessed pig heads on sticks, the bleakest bit so far in the book is that hmm. not only that it not only that it's suggested, but that it works, and that yeah. this whole group of people have just surrendered the possibility. Of uh, of of there being anything better to hope for 
than keeping out the darkness by dying last is, so they, is so, what they're choosing here. Yeah. So 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 they do the dance, they do the um they do the chanting, they sort of whip themselves up into this complete frenzy. And then the well basically what happens is Simon stumbles out of the forest and they kill him. And the way it's described is sort of at first it's the, described as the beast stumbles out of the forest and then Simon's crying out about a dead man and then the beast is crying out about a dead man and it's sort of, I like the way that he, he mixes the two descriptions yeah. over the course of a paragraph to almost, so you can almost feel like the two things emerging yeah, 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 again like he's he just, it's really interesting, you can see Golding just sort of taking the gear lever and just putting it in a different gear for a couple of paragraphs and doing it faultlessly you know, here you've got this really almost psychedelic, surreal presentation, you know, like merging the boundaries of the real and the imagined, um, where previously you had this, like, perfect, heart-rending expression of, of the kind of domestic bliss of a, a middle-class ten-year-old, you know, and he just sort of chooses to clunk into these modes and just hits it out of the park and then returns mm. to the plot. And it's really... And not everybody could get away with that, I don't think. I'm, I'm dead impressed. Yeah, and it ends with Simon's just body bleeding on the sand, and the kids all are all broken up because at that point, so this, there's this big sort of gust of wind, which basically sends the corpse back up into the air, and it basically flies over the beach, and everyone like runs away, and it sort of <laughs> flies off out to sea. And I mean, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you have this like little little sort of coda for this chapter, if you like, where there's this sort of nighttime, quite beautiful phosphorescence scene yeah. where Simon's body's slowly washed away with no one else on the sort of anywhere near. I mean, it's incredibly powerful writing, isn't it? This, like, mm. again, this is a bit where it's, and this is the second like quite disturbing bit to me, even though it's very beautifully rendered. Just the sort of because you know where it's going and he doesn't waste a word getting there and that means that every one of these words just lands like a death knell and it's so mm. such powerful writing and so enormously sad because it's not just Simon who's dying it's the whole possibility of this fear being removed as the sort of central thing that they're all revolving around and dancing around mm. you know the the central the fear is the central sacrament of this new emerging kind of environment and it didn't have to be but it is mm. now and Simon drifts out to sea again hats off I'm, I'm not the first to say it but this is quite a good book <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there's certainly a sort of a sense of um, sadness and tenderness to it as well the way that mm -hmm. he goes out Simon you feel the author's sort of yeah. um, like very gently after the violent ways, but the the really like horrific violent way he's been killed, yeah. there's just just this sort of small beat of like gentle finish at the end, yeah. where he's where he's taken out by yeah. the island. And yeah, be, well, because even the violence that these that, that these kids are drawn to is swallowed up in the indifference of the sea, and that's mm. that's a really interesting kind of point I think that's being made here is there is violence and it's horrific. But it's also um, only one part of the um, of the reality. This is just one small corner. This is horrifying, but only on its own terms. Mm. And the sea's going to move, come what may. And mm. that's quite an interesting, an interesting thing. You know, even the the apparent kind of uh, the the apparent the, the the apparent kind of uncontradictable power of the beast whatever it is is just still all just happening on an island and mm. Simon goes out with as much peace as any of them will you know what I mean mm. um, it's quite that felt very powerful to me and that is where we leave it for this well I say this week but I think we're going to, we're going to be doing the, the final part in the coming days um, but yeah with three chapters to go I don't expect there'll be three particularly cheery chapters considering we've just <laughs> left the book, but you never know. <laughs> maybe, maybe it does a, a, a 180 and it becomes a happy-go-lucky PG Woodhouse-esque act of whimsy, but I'm not holding my breath. Listen, 
to the final part to find out. And don't forget, short liver all Game of Thrones coverage coming straight after that. If you listen to the entire cast here and go, hang on a minute, this is just this, this. I've not heard a single word about Jamie Lannister in that. Who's <laughs> Piggy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get it. We'll get to it. We'll get to Thrones. Don't you, know, you worry about part that. of this. I mean, it's fantastic. This book. I mean, I, I always. I mean, it's like I said, it's the. Uh, it's the book that I uh, that survived me reading it as a sort of for GCSE and still liking it because it was <laughs> that's a trick. Isn't Almost it? guaranteed you don't, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, we'll see if it sticks to landing in the next part. We will. We will. Goodbye.